I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I am joined today by Michelle Gardella, photographer, dear friend, mother, everything. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you for having me. I have wanted to interview you for like my whole life, basically. Um, So the story of me and Michelle and I meeting, I was engaged to my husband. I had already hired a wedding photographer and was randomly asked to model wedding gowns for a local (laughs) hotel here in Houston, which is also in, in Austin. And, um, I met, I met Michelle in the hotel lobby. We're instantly best friends. Sorry. It's just the (laughs) label you're going to have to take on. Um, I didn't even see a picture she had taken, but I said, you have to photograph my wedding. Um, canceled on the other photographer, um, hired Michelle immediately, um, came to find out that like before everyone was basically promoting themselves as a photographer, Michelle was like one of the first real ones. Were you like a top 30 photographer in America or something crazy. You had some crazy accolade that I saw. (laughs) Like, anyway, Michelle is the real thing. Um, she is absolutely incredible. Um, and she's written several books, which include her photography and some of her exquisite writing. And the latest one is actually about to come out. It's called catch and release. I'm not going to try to explain what catch and release is since I have Michelle here. So Michelle, if you want to take over and just tell us a little bit about what your latest book is about. It's kind of evolved, so I'm glad um, you didn't try to explain it because (laughs) up until the printer sent it my way um, a few weeks ago, it probably would have changed again. So it started off as this. I did my River Story book, which was a collection of pictures and words where my family and I were living in an Airstream, just traveling around the country, and it was kind of like... You were living just... You were living in an Airstream for like two years, right? Two and a half years. Yep. Working on this book. You were quarantining before quarantining was a thing. Completely. And we've been saying that this whole time. We're like, oh, we know how to do, we were built for this. Like we know how to do this. I keep thinking about you and that time in your life because I feel like I'm in it. I remember watching your photos, talking about your time in the Airstream and how much you just desperately missed it. Once you found home in Austin Mm -hmm. and you were planted again and you just missed not having roots and like there's something about that, the way that you described it, I can just viscerally feel that being quarantined, just being like at one with the earth, really. I mean, that's how it feels for me. Um, And I've been thinking about you and how you must be kind of having flashbacks to that part in your life. Um, yeah, so but one second. So like for catch and release. So the book, anyway, it started off being, it was just going to be about words and not have images. Cause this whole idea of like, I was always hiding behind, um, pictures. And then I thought, Oh, I'll do a book. That's just my writing. And it was going to be like a small, um, like just a little tiny book of just like poems and short stories. But then 
I realized um, that I wasn't hiding behind my images, that that actually is like a language of mine that I use to communicate that I can't, you know, it's literally like a foreign language for me, that there's certain things I can't express through words. And so like, I need images to go with my words. So that was that. But yeah, with the, when this whole, there's so many things about living in the Airstream that were wonderful. And there's so many things that were terrible. And that's what I always say about living in the Airstream is that it was this constant pull of opposites. And I feel that right now completely. Like things are so beautiful and so difficult at the exact same time. So going into the Airstream, this was something you got, you did like voluntarily for this book. So there had to have been moments where you were like, okay, like, let's just go home wherever that is. And that we was kind of more maybe of an option. There wasn't a home though. No, we sold everything that we owned. We sold our Connecticut house. We sold everything um, and moved into this Airstream. I have to ask the question that everyone's wondering right now. So you have two kids. How did we sell the family on this venture? Everyone wanted to do it. It's really funny because if Thomas came to me tomorrow and was like, let's go in an Airstream, I'd be like, no. So I think (laughs) it was like the perfect time. I really, I'm going to be completely honest with you. We had the flu at the time. Like we, we had always talked about like, oh, maybe we could do this. And we had read this book um, called Before They're Gone. And it was about these two doctors who wanted to spend time with their kids before they leave the house. And they um, set out on this adventure anyway. And we had both been reading it while we were homesick. And then one day, literally, we had never even been in an Airstream. We'd never stepped foot in one, never, none of it. We literally called an Airstream dealer in New Jersey and we're like, can we buy a new Airstream? And they were like, yeah, we bought it over the phone and then sold our house and sold everything and went and picked it up. I don't feel like it's, it feels really unstable. Like when I tell when, cause people always ask like, Oh, how can I get my husband to agree to this? And I'm like, no, it was just like one of those weird days where everything aligned and we were still kind of like dehydrated from being sick. I don't know. But, and then we, and then once you do it, it's done. Right. So then we were like, well, here we go. So I imagine though, that that experience would have, made you feel like you really did get to soak up those t- that time with your kids before they grew up. I mean, your oldest is now about to go to college, but back completely, then he was completely younger. Completely. Yeah. I, and I also feel that way about this um, quarantine time as well, because with him being 17, about to be 18 in a few weeks, um, I love that he's forced to be home with us. And I say that with so much love and, um, the thing that I've loved witnessing the most, which was the same in the Airstream, was their bond between him and his sister. So when we were in the Airstream, they were inseparable, inseparable. Like he would braid her hair before bed at night. I know it sounds so idealistic, but it truly was. And he would like read her chapters of Little House on the Prairie. And then like they were just she thought he was the greatest thing ever and would just follow him around. And when you're living in 28 you know, it's a tiny little peanut. So they, they never argued because they couldn't, what, what could you really do? Like storm away two inches away? Like you can't, you had to work it out. You just kind of have to figure it out. And that's what they're doing now. So I, but when, once we, and I always call it once we domesticated, right? Like once we landed in Austin and got a house and slowly became like domesticated, 
I saw their relationship go in different directions, not in an unhealthy way, but it just was inevitable. And ever since this quarantine, they're back to their Airstream days of just completely inseparable. What do you think that says? Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say like he's 17 and she's 10. So it's not even like they have that much in common, but they, they just do. I don't know. It's, it's funny. What do you think that says? Cause I have been asking myself this question a lot. I've been talking to my husband about this constantly. We keep on just saying like, Hey, can we not go back to the way things were before? I know. Cause we're kind of, like, but the same thing you described with the Airstream and our current reality, I have ev- within every day, I experience like 90 different emotions that are all very intense mm-hmm. of vacillating just between being in heaven with my family and also feeling this grief and just longing to go back to things that I had before and not knowing when they will come back. So um, like, what do you think? I'm just wondering your perspective on this. What do you think it says about the way that we live our lives, quote, normally, um, that like when we are in these sort of abnormal situations, like our families, many of them come together the way you described your kids. Like I can see it with my own family. And then I'm looking at the way we normally live our lives. You know, my oldest is in school all day. She will be until she's 18 and then she's going to go to college. And it's like, I get it. I understand why you would go in an Airstream for two years. I just, I never want my kids to leave again. I don't, I don't know what to make of that. Like, I don't, I don't want them gone. I love having them with me. It's absolutely exhausting. I am so tired physically, but, um, like I can just see how the way that we do things, um, when we're not quarantined, like, I don't know what, maybe not all of it's really working that well, because like, look at what's happening when we're in this situation. Such a good question. Such a really good question. I think um, I think it's really person dependent. And I think you and I share a lot of similar values and um, in terms of what really matters. I think both of us have a really good grasp on um, what truly matters. I think that there are certain, of course, family structures that right now it's probably not happy in their home because the parents are like, I don't want to be in the house with my kids, you know, like I've certainly seen that side of it. But for people like you and I, I think it's a really important message to listen to. And it's one that I've been talking to my husband about a lot because for us, it's also a lot of extracurricular activities. So it's like, you know, my son would be doing this and driving here and doing this activity. And then my daughter would be doing it was just this belief system that like they have to constantly be achieving and doing all of these things. And now of course that was all taken away. So for us, that's one thing that we're paying really close attention to is like, Oh, how much do they really need to be doing to be happy? And was it really for them in the first place? So that was the first observation we made. Um, and then the other one was simply about, and I, this is going to sound, um, Like, I don't know how to have this conversation without sounding sexist, which is interesting coming from me, who's like, I feel like um, a very vocal feminist. But of course, my neighbor just started mowing his lawn right now. Um, I can't hear it. Don't worry. Okay, but I feel like me being home has a lot to do with the heartbeat of our house. And I feel like that's something we've all been talking about, especially in the past like three or four days. Um it's just really, really interesting. The difference of having me here to constantly like nurture and feed and like 
soothe and just keep the peace. And I don't know. And I, it's really difficult for me to talk about because it's like, I'm not saying everybody needs to just like after the quarantine is over, have somebody stay at home with the kids. But for me, it's been really eye opening of like, okay, so how can I, and it's always been this push and pull with me. And that's why I was always a photographer is like, how can I balance this life of having, you know, roles like mom, wife, and do all these things well, which it feels like is happening during quarantine, but also my sense of self. But right now it feels very much like everything is harmonious because we're, I, we, I mean, moms are kind of like the glue that's holding the world together right now. Like me and all my girlfriends keep having these zoom meetings where we're like, really and truly, we believe that mothers and women are the ones if keeping this whole safety net intact right now. Can I just say that I don't think, and I've said this on several episodes of this podcast, because you're probably the third woman that I've interviewed who've started a sentence with, I worried I'm going to sound sexist, but, and then they've gone into saying almost exactly what you just said. Um, I don't think that that's sexist at all. And I think that I completely agree with you as far as it pertains to my own life. Um, I believe that men and women are equal, but that we are not the same. Um, in a lot of circumstances. So like, I, I don't think that Ben being home full time does the same thing as me being home full time. That's why he's not home full time. And that's just mm-hmm. reality for us. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we're unequal. It just means that there's a certain heartbeat in our house. I do believe when I am home more often, and that has been such a difficult struggle for me because I grapple with losing my identity. Um, yeah. I am similar to you and I've always wanted to have a career where I could be present with my kids, but there's this constant push and pull when we're in Mm -hmm. normal life. Um, and I never quite feel like I have a balance. That's what so much of this show, this show is called look ma no hands. It's about like when your hands are tied, like how do you kind of maintain an identity and also do the things that you want to do in your family and navigating that. And, um, the only way I found is that like, I'm just really bad at selective things. Like, So like one week I'll be really bad at like cooking, but I'll be great at, like, I haven't found a balance. I've just found a being bad at things selectively and just letting it be like, okay, well this week we're just going to have cereal or whatever. And then B outsourcing. Right. And we can't really outsource right now. And what I mean by that is like, there's been times where we've had a chef or we've had um, someone come do the cleaning. And so like those are the really truly the only two ways that I found to kind of achieve that until, you know, with me also working is what I'm trying to say, like with yeah. me working full time as a teacher. So it's just been really interesting right now because everybody's and I feel like before maybe I wasn't really paying attention to be honest with you before, but I feel like probably everybody's plate was full in my family before the quarantine, right? Like everybody was operating at max capacity and the quarantine happened and I was able to, cause I was a full-time teacher and I was able to just step away and it happened right at spring break. So we had spring break where I was not at full capacity. It was like all of a sudden my plate was cleared and all I could do is just like help the people around me, like get acclimated and situated and my neighbors or whoever needed it. And then I don't know, it's just become this really interesting, like tons of gratitude. My husband's like, Oh my God, thank you so much. Every time I do anything because 
I guess I wasn't really paying attention in the past. He was doing those things. Does that make sense? So like, I just feel like now there's this whole thing of like, well, like when you're like, I don't really want it to go back to normal. I'm like, gosh, like what? It's just, what is that even going to look like? Like I can't even, because for us, when the quarantine is over, that also means our son's leaving. It also means like all these changes are happening. So it's like, right. I don't know. I've just been really grateful to get to be like this stay at home mom right now and have this role of loving my kids 150%. There's been times where I've been 150% in my career. There's been times when I've been 150% in my creativity, but right now my role is 150% mom and wife. And I'm grateful for that, that I've had this time to shower them in that way. I so appreciate that. And I think, you know, to everything, there's a season and like this for me has been a season of being mom and wife as well. And, um, I have just been soaking it in and, it's challenging for me not to look into the future and say, how am I going to maintain this when everybody goes back into more of a schedule? But I really um, heard what you said about the extracurriculars, like asking Ben and I've been asking like, why were we moving so fast? What was it that was taking up so much of our time? Our oldest daughter's three and a half. So she wasn't running to like sports practices every day after school, but there was a lot of extra stuff that was happening. And, um, I had this moment and and all of that was kind of coming from this place of like, oh my gosh, well, she has to start swimming or she won't learn how to swim or she has to do ballet or she'll never have a shot at being a ballerina if that's what she wants to be like anyone I know ever became a ballerina. But anyway, she was talking to me today. She takes like ballet and gymnastics at school and she, I asked her which one was her favorite and she said, "Um, well, I don't like ballet because the teacher's always telling me that I'm not doing the right thing. This is something that she's never said to Mm. me before. Um, and she's like, I like gymnastics because I like I, I enjoy it. I get to jump around. But she's always telling me I should be doing something else and I don't like it. And I said, I don't like it when people do that to me either, Selma. And if you really like gymnastics, let's go do more gymnastics. I love gymnastics when I was your age. And I'm like, I hated ballet when I was a kid. Yeah. And I made my daughter do it when she was three because my mom always told me it was so important to being mm-hmm. graceful. And like, it's just this message that I was kind of perpetuating about how important it is. Um, and to be able to be like still enough to listen to her that she really doesn't like it. Um, I don't know, like, I don't want to go back to not listening. I don't want to go back to thinking she has to do it because her friends are doing it. I know. Ever. There's so many things I started taking, I started this practice. So I wake up really early when it's dark. I run now. So like I wake up, I, what does really early when it's dark mean? five, like between five and five, six, but five is impressive. You go ahead. Tell me more. And then I just like take a few minutes, brush my teeth, whatever, get dressed, um, go for my run, which surprisingly there's like a lot of people in my neighborhood who are on the same routine. So it's actually, I mean, not a lot, like it's not crowded, but I absolutely will always say like at least six or seven people, which is nice to just have that morning, like wave of familiarity. Like, plus you live in Austin. So like, everyone's athletic I feel like (laughs) I don't know I would never I don't know if I'm athletic but like and then I come home and there's my family is still asleep and we have this like big egg chair on our porch and I just sit there and I have my notebook and I just do this thing where I write down what's um like bothering me or um it's 
there's two columns. So on one side, it'll, it's basically just like a brain dump. So things that you're saying like, oh, my daughter has to do ballet or like any little thing that in the past I wouldn't have paid attention to. But now I sit down and I write out all the things that are either stressing me out or um, like pressures that I feel like expectations is, is the word I was searching for. So like I write down all these expectations and anxieties on one side. And then the other side, if there's nothing I can do about it, I literally just put a line. And that means I'm not allowed to give it any more attention or any more anything because it's completely out of my control. And then if there are things I can do about it, I just write little notes of like things that I can do today. And that practice has really helped me um, just kind of reorg, like you're saying, our priorities as a family and personally. Is that so, something, that practice, something you started doing in quarantine or was it were yeah. you doing it before? Okay. Because there's so much I couldn't control and I was stressing out and I was like, I was trying to find solutions to problems that don't have solutions without realizing it until I started writing this down and being like this, there is no, this is not in my control. I can't control this. Um, I, like I lost so my I job. Like that's an example. Like I had my dream job as an art teacher. I loved it so much. I was like literally on cloud nine. It was five seconds up the road. It was, it was just incredible. And then um, they, cut funding to the arts and decided to switch it over to the PE program. And I lost my job. This was maybe oh, like, I'm so sorry, two weeks ago. That's okay. But I'm saying like, that was one of those things that I, what am I going to do? There's nothing I can do. And I've really begun to practice radical acceptance that started way before the quarantine, but I am so grateful that I already had that practice of just being like, I don't like this, but I have to accept this. Well, um, I've but, always been so grateful for you having radical acceptance because there are so <laughs> few people you're laughing, but there's so the thing that I love the most about you, Michelle, and there are so many things to love, but number one on the list is that, um, you have never been willing to settle for anything less than the truth. You're rigorously honest, um, about what's going on in the world and with you and within yourself. And I think, you know, we, I know, I don't think, but I know that we live in a world where, there are way more people who are numbing out to reality than people who are showing up for it. Cause it's really hard to show up for. And I have, I get that it's, it can be brutal. Um, but you've never settled for anything less than really showing up for all of it. And the art that you create as a result of feeling all of it, the photography you're writing, um, it's always been there. It's as though it gives people permission to show up if they want to, because you're doing it and you're alive and you're going to call things what they are. And in 2016, you wrote about this. Like you, you had a very, when people having really big Instagram presences was becoming a big, was becoming more of a thing. That was you. You had a very like a thriving Instagram profile, if you will. And um, you had these pictures of your kids that were up and it was gorgeous. And I, I loved reading everything you wrote. And then you just disappeared. And you wrote something on your blog talking about why and that you weren't ready to come back yet. Because you were seeing so much dishonesty that it was just basically rubbing you the wrong way and you didn't know how to not call it out. Um, and then your, your presence on Instagram changed um, from, there, from there on. But I always like really, you wrote something, if anybody ever wants to find it, it's on Michelle's website. It's called All In. It's a blog post called All In. But it was the most beautifully honest thing I'd ever read about what was really going on with you and your family, that you were very happy, joyful, family who also like 
you're, you said like Thomas and I, we fight and slam doors and like my kids have meltdowns because their sleeves are three quarter inches inside of a long sleeve jacket. (laughs) And like, we have like all of these things happen, but that doesn't mean that we're any, like, that's just part of who we are. But those are the things that I feel ashamed of when you see me out in the street and I'm not all dressed up, but you know me from Instagram. And like, I just thought that was such a vivid, like beautiful picture of so many of the things that weren't working for us. And you saw that four years ago. And I think that's so much of what people are seeing right now. And I'm so curious. And the reason why I've been doing so many more podcasts lately is because I'm just so curious and asking so many questions about what will we take from this? And what are people getting from this right now? um, And how are they using this time to maybe change the things that weren't working for them before. Well, thank you so much for saying that you love my truth telling, because as I've said, like it's usually um, what people dislike in me. the most. I guess it's polarizing. <laughs> I guess people either love it about me or they um, can't well, be near it. Well, like, it's like, here I am. I mean, I'm in all I that. Wish. Like, I've actually gotten very good the past eight months at the skill of tongue biting. I was like, Thomas, I just realized before this, I never knew how to bite my tongue. Like ever, like ever, like we would be in public and I would be like, fucking A. And then I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. So I never really (laughs) had, it was like a skill that I needed to acquire. And part of that, I I, I absolutely came from the way that I grew up. It's not like, um, it's completely that, but I think, um, the truth telling I, I, it's, it's, um, it's tricky sometimes, but I think it's just so weird right now because right now there's like a few things that I feel like everybody is coming to terms with that they don't usually want to face like up close and look at right in the eye. And that's like death and money. Right. So there's like these topics that we don't usually talk about or they're impolite or they're deemed like I don't know. They're just like secrets, right? Like people's dirty books. Yeah. So you never actually say to, you know, like, oh, how much money do you have? Or, hey, are you on unemployment? And all of a sudden, or like, are you dying? Do you know anybody that's dying? I mean, these aren't like conversations that I was typically having. Whereas now it's right out there. Like when I talk to my friends, I'm always checking in with their relatives who are sick and with their spouses or families who have lost their jobs. How's that going? Are you able to afford food? What can I do to help? And so... I think there's no, I hope that there's no going back from that because, and I'm tying this back to Instagram because the shift that I was seeing at the time in 2016 that I didn't realize was that it became a business. It was like this profitable business to brand your children, to brand your life and to live within that brand. And people were very successful at it. And, um, my hope is that we continue this, um, talking about the difficult things on a more regular basis, because one thing I've noticed, and it could just be like my circle, but one thing I've noticed is that I've never felt less alone. Like, even though we're isolated because everybody's having these conversations that are so just, this is what it is. Like, there's no time for BS right now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you felt that way. I feel the same way. Oh my gosh, you just cried in your bathtub two minutes after making cupcakes. I just cried in my closet. You know what I mean? Like all these conversations that everybody all of a sudden is like, yeah, I have no money, like, or whatever there, or, oh my gosh, I have so much money and how can I help? Like all these conversations were normally, it's been 
just more focused on like, I don't know, I'm picking something stupid, but like mascara or like manicures or whatever, all of a sudden it's like, gosh, I'm so sorry, like that someone in your family is sick and dying and what can we do? And um, so in that sense, I feel like the humanity is coming back in people in ways that the plasticity, like all that sanitary, all that like fake stuff, I feel like is hopefully crumbling away for good. I mean, I still see, I guess, a little bit of remnants of it, but even in my own neighborhood, and this is going to be, again, I, I, I hope I don't offend any of my neighbors by saying this, but <laughs> my neighborhood is really, it's, we're in Austin, but it's in, it's in Southwest Austin. So it's like suburbia and there's only one road in and one road out. So you come in and then our neighborhood is like, there's like the less expensive homes and then they progressively get into like the millions and millions of dollars at the back of the neighborhood. And when I go for my runs, I go loop around. So I see it all. And I mean, I'm less expensive is like the cheapest house right now, I think is like 500,000. So I'm by no means claiming that we, that there's any poverty here. But what I'm saying is when this all started, I remember feeling excited to see what my most fancy neighbors actually looked like. Like I was literally That's like, so funny. no, and I would say this to like my close friends who don't live here. I'd be like, guys, you know, those people that I'm always so jealous of every day, like jealous, like I would go for my run and I'm kid you not, it would be 6am and they would look gorgeous in their driveways. And I would be like, I cannot wait to see this truth come out like, like oh. physically. So not just like conversation truths, but like, I could not mm-hmm. wait. And once I started seeing like the gray hair and like the wrinkles or the no makeup and all this stuff. I was like, I, that's what I mean. Like I've never felt less alone. Like I was like, Oh shoot. Like there, even the pictures of, did you just see the pictures of Kylie Jenner that came out? You know, I, I love my think, gossip. I think I saw like the, the meme that's like when Kylie Jenner, like is actually a white person in quarantine. I saw something like that. That was like, I, the meme. I, I, I was, that was so grateful. That I, came I was across. like, okay. She lo- looks like a, I, like, these are the truths that I'm hoping will remain. And I hope I don't forget them when I start comparing myself to people again. Like, okay, but I know you got grace, girl. Cause I saw I know, it. you know, I, so I don't have the street that you reference, but I do have one person I follow on Instagram who just like has the lashes and the eyebrows and the yes. hair done probably the tan. Every, like, the tan. And like, I was the, honestly, I was like, I can't wait to see what you look like. Same. And I have watched it deteriorate. And I've gotten something from that. I have taken something away from that because there's something about it that's like, and I was talking about this on my last podcast. I'm like, why, what, why am I like, why was I looking forward to seeing her not be because able it's to human. Because, because it's, it's human. human. I just like desperately wanted to know that we were the same. Species. That we were human. Like, we're both human because the, yes. those things about her made me feel like there was something wrong with me probably when I, when we were on the other side of this. So, and I think it's just about being human, like on a very, like you use the word visceral level. That's what all of my photography, that's what all of this is about. That's why I went to rivers because it's like the big equalizer. Like you can't pretend when you're in like a raging river covered in mud, like it really strips away and brings out the humanity. And that to me is what I find beautiful. Like though, I love wrinkles. I love freckles. I show me all of your imperfections. Those are the things that I truly, and I'm not just saying this, like, those are the things I adore. So when I was like excited to see it, it was because I was like, I'm going to be able to like relate to these people now. Like I'm going to be able to see their human side. 
So when I was this first started, I had just, I had eyelash extensions like for like six weeks probably before um, oh all this happened. And um, the first thing I said to my husband was like, oh my God, like my eyelashes are going to fall out. Like fall I off. am so out of control. It was just like this <laughs> metaphor for like how unbelievably out of control mm-hmm. I was to the point I got so freaked out about it that he was like, well, maybe we can make like work something out. Maybe she can come here. Like he was just trying to make it better. I was so freaked out. And I was like, that's not. I said to him, like, that's not the point of this. Like, I just know spiritually that I'm supposed to let go of these effing eyelashes. Like, I, I know that might sound crazy to some people, but I don't think the point for me was to figure out a way to keep them on or to go get magnetic. La- like, I think I was I supposed think it to needs just to be a all choice. And like, fall that's, away. yeah. And that's the thing is so often we feel like the choice is stripped away by the pressures and the expectations. And exactly. now it's like, oh, I know I can exist without the eyelashes. So now I can make the choice moving forward if I want them or not. Cause I already know I can do this without it. I can like, do it. And I had forgotten yeah. that I could do it. Like I had forgotten that. Um, and I was, I went through just this anxiety of like letting go of that and so many other things that I do regularly to keep up my appearance. And, um, I went through just so much discomfort and then there was the like, oh, like, I'm free again. And I don't even I know if I, I want had, those like, things. things that I did to keep. There's so many. I envy people who like get eyelash extension. I've written about this a lot is like, I wish that I, I wish that I had a part of me that like cared. I really do. I'm just being honest. Like there's so many no, times for me, it's where the I'm the way like, I was raised for sure. It's like oh, the way, the expectations yeah. that were around me today, I was putting my shorts on like my shorts from last summer that I haven't put on like in a year. And we've been quarantined and like eating these huge meals that my husband cooks every night. So like right. I had an anticipation that the shorts might be a little bit tight. <laughs> I put them on. I'm pretty sure they're tighter than they were last summer, but like, I can't be certain. I see the right. anxiety starting to swirl. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do? That was the first mm. question I had. What am I going to do? And then I thought, okay, what's the problem here? What are, What is the actual problem? And right. the problem wasn't, was that, wasn't that I'd gotten bigger. The problem was that I was worried about what that would mean to a very certain set of other people. And I thought, well, what if I took that out of the equation? And then I thought everything's okay. It is completely fine. That's interesting because I wonder if the reason why I don't care is because my people don't care. I mean, I Does that mean? really, that could be it. And I wish that I felt that, like, I, I mean, honest, it is absolutely what was valued when I was That's growing so up. Interesting. Yeah. Um, appearance was very, very, very important. I continue to be de- certainly in the presence of people whom val- who value it. And I'm certainly, I've been one of those people, but um, it's like the only thing I was worried about was that other people were going to think that I wasn't doing yeah. well. My shorts were tight. I know that I'm <laughs> doing well. Like, I know that I'm good. Like, what if right. I can just decide that I'm okay? Um, and I, I even, even said that to Ben. I'm like, all my anxiety around this, like my clothes being tight, this is all about, this isn't really about how I feel about myself. Like, mm. I would be really okay being like slightly overweight. It's how people treat me when I am. That's what mm. I'm so afraid of. And if I can just like let that go, like, I think I'll be free. Like, I think, I think Maybe. I'll be I just don't better. care. Yeah. I just don't care. Like the other day I, when I, I won this award. So it's been really this polar, this universe of polar opposites is what I've been calling it. Like everything at the same time, happiness. So the other day, like I told you, I lost my job. Oh my God. I just saw the most biggest spider ever. I almost just, um, (laughs) next to my chair where I'm sitting. Sorry. Um, so I lost my job. They eliminated my position. They told me that I would have another position 
but just not as an art teacher. Like I could do like PE or something. And I was like, okay, let me think about it. But I was like really sad. And I of course was hurt and felt like devalued and just was like, Hmm, that's a bummer. So then two days ago, I hear a knock at my door and no one's been at my door for however long we've been doing this. And I kept knocking and knocking and I was like, okay, what's going on? So I go there and there's like this big bouquet of flowers because I won an award for like educator of the year. Oh my God. And I was like, how, if this is not the perfect illustration for what's going on right now, like I lost my job, but then I got an award. Like we're happy at home with our families, but we're terrified of like our families dying. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's just. And then I closed the door. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like, I was really caught off guard. Of course, covered in clay, like wearing a wife beater, looking like a homeless person. I closed the door. And the first thing my son says is, oh my God, thank God they didn't come yesterday when you were walking around in your leopard bikini. Oh my God. And that's literally, I was like, oh my God, you're absolutely right. But that like, cause I just don't care. So the day before I literally spent the whole day outside in my leopard bikini, like, baking pottery, washing groceries as one does now, like doing whatever I had to do because it was nice out and I don't care. But could you imagine if my district of like where I'm a teacher pulls up to give me an award and I'm just standing there and like my, like I need to care more. That's what I mean when I say like, oh, I don't care. Sometimes I'm like, God, I really, I got to care. I think it's part of your charm. I've always thought that about you. I love that about you. I actually took this picture when I was getting ready. I was getting ready to interview you. Um, So I was going through your Instagram because you have so many beautifully written posts. And I was just trying to find a few that I was going to bring up um, and ask you about in this interview. You had a picture. You had a picture of yourself with a white wig on. Oh, yeah. There was a time when I was poor, welfare poor, two big, dirty knee tights, hand-me-down shoes, food stamps poor. There was a time when my father was in prison and then my older, fa- my other father was homeless. I cleaned houses with Brayden on my back to pay for college classes. I could go on and on, but now I'm not poor. I might still work three jobs, but we are not hungry. Now my father is not homeless. Now we eat the yummiest organic foods. And why the heck am I sharing all this? Because if there are people who are less fortunate out there and they happen to find their way to this little photo of me sitting in a silly white wig, then I want them to hear me crystal clear when I grab their collar with my voice and look directly into their eyes and tell them, you can do this. I believe in you. The world needs your courage. I need your truth. And when people say it's impossible, you tell them with every single bone in your body, watch me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did I just make you cry with your own caption? Because No. I'm just, I miss the days when I would write like that on Instagram. Um... I mean, it's all, and I, that's what I mean when I say, like, I think a lot of this comes from the way that we grew up, you know, like, I, I just think that, like, that's, that's what I'm saying in terms of, like, wanting to see the people. Um, okay, so, gosh, sometimes I, this is why I need photography, because I don't really know how to articulate myself sometimes. You're doing but, way better than you think. Okay. I feel like... Um, like I wasn't surrounded by people who got like extensions or like, um, you know, lash extensions or like plastic surgery or anything because we couldn't even afford to eat. So like no one that just wasn't an, 
it wasn't part of our vocabulary. It wasn't part of our world. So in terms of like, of course, so I think like in terms of this, me saying like, I look forward to seeing the humanity of people through this whole quarantine. It's the same thing that I crave in my photography and the rivers. It's just always goes back to like, I am going to love you without all that stuff. Like I am going to love you unconditionally exactly how you are with it or without it. And I feel like when I spend time with people, whether it's like a five-year-old in kindergarten who's coming into my art class or it's someone who flew around the world to come with me to a river, I hope during our time together that that's the message that they get is like, I, I love you exactly as you're showing up right now and for everything that you're not and everything that you are. Like I, and I mean that, like I absolutely mean that. And so I think my struggle is always finding ways of doing that, that also make money. (laughs) I'm being totally (laughs) honest because it's like, how do I, and that's why I love teaching, but like I, no one, I mean, I'm not making a lot of money as a teacher. And like, I, that's why I turned away from, I was making tons of money as a wedding photographer. Like you said, when I was top 30 in the world and like being flown to all these places and just literally raking in the money, but I didn't feel that I was able to like get that message across. And so that's been like the whole struggle of like, how can I, because you're right, I don't have a choice. Like this work that I do of like loving on people as human beings, it's not, I can't escape it. So the conversation over the past three or four days has been like, well, but like my son's going to college next year. And again, we're not poor. Thomas works for Venmo. We're fine. But like, (laughs) I mean, I'm not, but I'm just saying like, it's really difficult when who we are is not valued in the society monetarily. And so that's been like, so interesting during this whole mix up of whatever this is, what's going on is like, how does anyone make kind of finding out that what's valued monetarily isn't necessarily really valuable. Like what's valuable is each other, right? It's exactly what what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, But it's been this weird, it's just like this weird conversation of like, so, and it also turns out like people whose biggest fear was being poor, which I, don't know what that's like because I've been poor. Right. And I've never been afraid of it. So it wasn't that bad. I never knew I was even poor. And I wrote about this in my next book, Catch and Release. I had no idea I was poor. And then I went to a private boarding school in Connecticut that I got like a scholarship for. And people were like, you're so poor. I'm afraid to go to your house. Cause what if I get shot? And I was like, I kid you not. I was in high school. And I had, I had no idea that I was poor before then. Where None. were you? Li- we'll tell like, let's a little bit of background just so anyone listening knows where, where did you grow up? Like, what was that like? So I grew up in different places, but I grew up from this time where I'm talking about when I was going to this high school, it's really interesting because I lived in a place called East Hartford and I would cross the river and go to a place called West Hartford, which just, you can totally edit this out of your podcast, but I actually just read this whole thing about how that's the way it works. And a lot of, during the industrial revolution, the factories and things were placed centrally and all the pollution would blow to the east. So all the poor people lived on the east and got like 
the bad air and the bad living conditions. That's still conditions. true everywhere, basically, in America right now. 100%. Yeah, it was this whole Houston. thing that it's I true read everywhere. about. Yeah. yeah. So I was on the east side, and I would go to school on the west side. So, and like we, at that point, we were no longer on welfare. At that point, my mom was working as a secretary and my father was working. Well, my second father was working. So, um, but yeah, at, before then it, I was living with grandparents at one time people were in and out of jail and rehab my, in terms of like parents, quote unquote, I don't even know, but, and so that's never been a fear of mine. And I think what's really interesting is right now that was always kind of some people's biggest fear. And I hear that and I know it's real for so many people, but now I think that they've lost their jobs and some people have lost everything monetarily. They're, they're realizing like, wait, so, but like, I'm still okay. Like I'm still alive. I'm and for some people, certainly they're not okay. And they might be having a really difficult time. But I think what I've witnessed in my own group of friends is like, this isn't as bad as I thought. We're going to figure this out. We can, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's just so many things. And I, I just think that it's nice to see people, I guess, growing up. And even now I'm going to be 40. It's kind of difficult to see people's biggest fear be your actual reality. Like people who get Botox all the time, their biggest fear is looking like me. Like people who are rich, their biggest fear is being how I grew up. Like that's kind of hard every single day to go out into a society that's like, God, I'm kind of terrified of being like you, you know? Yeah, and I so never I think, thought of it that way. Uh-huh. So I think now it's kind of nice to be like, well, look, like, uh-oh, you're like me and it's okay. Like, Being like gonna me be, is okay. Yeah. It's going to be fine. It's funny. I just had like this, because um, I have like freckles all over and moles all over my face. And I had to go to this dermatologist to have one tested for cancer. And I, this was before obviously any of this happened, but I walked in and was so embarrassed. Like I had to go for two appointments. The first one I went in. I was mortified because I was sitting there and I was like, everyone must be looking at me like I am the ugliest thing in the world because they had nothing. They had no wrinkles, no nothing. And I'm here with like wrinkle. I don't even know what I have, but I'm just sitting there like they must be looking at me like I'm a before picture. And I told her. So we went into the room and she did like the first exam. And I was like, so next time I come, I want to come the last appointment of the day because I'm like so uncomfortable. I was mortified. I was like. And I told her why I was like, people must be looking at me. Like I'm just like grotesque. And she was like laughing and I'm like, okay, but seriously, like, so five o'clock next time, because I can't like, I can't, it's hard for me. So I think it's like nice now that everybody is, you know, I, I was such a snob about food too. Like I was like, oh, we can only eat organic. Like my kids can't whatever, or have any screen time. And now I'm like, um, we bought the kids an iPad and everyone's having hot dogs and mac and cheese. Like we're and everyone. I love that. I know. You <laughs> know, I think like the next episode that I'm doing is actually just about what you just described that <laughs> like the parenting myth of like the good mom, bad mom, like, do you give your kid organic mac and cheese or regular, right. like it's all out the fucking window. Out right the now. window. I hope like, it never comes back. I hope it never comes back. May I we was never guilty forget what Big this time. was like. My kids, so like Selma, my, my oldest child has never been happier. Um, she's never been more, she went through like a pretty big, I mean, like, like a two week long mood swing. Um, when this all first started, 
Um, and now I have to tell you, like, she's never had more TV time in her life and a more relaxed mother. And she has never seemed more well adjusted. Everybody I mean, the, is telling me that their dysregulated children are like the most regulated they've ever been. They are the most, I have never seen her. So People regulated. have taken their kids off their medications. I mean, like my students, you know, I've heard this across the board, like, I don't know what she's it had is. zero mil. I mean, I'm not like actually talking to you about this is making me real. When this first started, Ben and I were like, okay, we got to figure out we're going to open a school and we're going to send her to that school. And she can be the only student, <laughs> but like, she's got to go to school. Like this is a kid who needs to go to school. And right. once like a month <laughs> passed, it was a month. I would say, um, these past two weeks, I had a really big, like aha moment last week of just like, you have to stop trying to create some sort of homeschool schedule for your three and a half year old, because it is not going to work and you're driving everybody crazy. And like the second I let go, um, she's just never been happier. She's never, mm-hmm. we have so much more patience because we're not trying to be perfect last night. Like she just had this, I had this dream of, of what I was going to be like as a parent. And like, that's who I've been lately by doing the exact opposite of what I thought I was supposed to be doing. I've had so mm. much more patience. I've had so much more presence. Um, and it's like, I'm doing all the things I was told I wasn't supposed to be doing. TV's on all the time. Mac and cheese every night, whatever you want. I know. Um, my girl got Minecraft. Like, I mean, when I yeah, tell you, my Minecraft. kids were in, my kids were in Waldorf school. Like I paid $35,000 a year for them to never see a computer. And now I'm like, do you love Minecraft? And like, yeah, right? Hey, I, I get it. This is what I'm saying. And I'm like, I, and my kids, like I said, they're, they're so happy, but I think, yeah, it's just what you, you use the two words that, and that's what I've been every time when I go for my run, it's my mantra is let go and surrender, let go and surrender. And you just said, we've let go. That's like what this season feels like is that some things that we were holding onto were real and some were just illusions, but it doesn't even matter because either way we've been forced to just let go of that rope. Like there's no more tug of war because there's just no more rope. Like we've all just kind of been like, fuck it. This is what it is. And so this is what it is. And the kids, I remember the kids are great and I'm great. And like, I, it's just been this really, I remember, okay. So like in Texas, I'm not, I literally haven't watched the news and I honest to God, don't have any political affiliation right now at all. Like people keep asking me about what my opinion is. And I was like, I don't have one. However, I did just hear that they were planning on opening up the state of Texas. Yes. The only thing my first thought was, like, oh, no, well, I hope the birthday drive-bys still happen. And I hope, like, people are still sitting on their front porch. I literally didn't even think of, like, people dying. I feel terrible saying this. I literally was like, There's oh. nothing to feel terrible about. It's hard, but you know it's what I'm hard saying? to, like. Like, I was like, oh, but I kind of liked living in 1954 with everyone on their porches every night. And, and like, you I know, like. every day. I'm like, I just literally was like, when they were like, the state's opening back up, I was like, oh, but I hope I still share tomatoes with the lady up the street. And like, I hope all these little things that we've now started doing, like, I I wasn't even thinking big picture. I was just thinking of like, gosh, I really want to hold on to this time. And that brings me to, I think we might move. (laughs) I, I swear to God, I think that this whole thing I never wanted to live in Austin I've never been shy about saying that I have I am not a city person at all my heart if I could live anywhere in the world it would be Vermont I just are you gonna move to Vermont no because it's too cold like now I've kind of gotten spoiled 
Yeah, you know what I mean, I know. The like if I if we had to do this quarantine and I was in Vermont, you it would be a different person on the other end of this phone. Like I'm literally sitting in a bikini in my backyard talking to you. And I that's- just never want to. I love it. I just never want to let go of like my family. Like what you were just describing with like it's 1959. Yes. Like I was walking down the st- street the other yes. day and it was getting dark out and there were kids like rolling down the hills yes. by our house and I was like. Please, God, just don't let this end. Don't Please take make this away. know that, like, this was better than anything that we did before. And, like, yes. I said before we started recording, like, it's like the whole world's in rehab right now. Like, mm-hmm. we're withdrawing from, like, we were just addicted yes. to everything. Like, that's the yes. nature of being alive in the world that we were living in. So, yes, it's painful. Yes, we're letting go. We let go of a lot. But, like, there's good stuff here. We got to keep Amazon Prime. So, we're all going to be okay. Like, there's good stuff. <laughs> That's happening. And I like, actually right became now, like good friends with my Amazon Prime person through this. Right? We're leaving stuff out for the people who are um I find that so interesting too, that like a lot of the good things that were really working before, like having most of our shopping take place online, for example, that's a pretty sustainable endeavor if we do it right. And like notice how that still works. But a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that was like you know, destroying our planet isn't working right now. I really, there's so many things. I I hope it doesn't go away, but I, so like the, so today I went for like a three hour drive to the disdain of my children who I didn't bring snacks or water because I wasn't thinking like in the past, this is the first time we've gone for a drive. And it was because one of my job offers for a new art teacher position is far away in like a small Texas town. And so I felt like, oh, this is okay because it's for work, right? Like I wasn't like breaking the locks. I'm such a rule follower. I was like, well, we can go for a drive because this is work related. But I forgot to pack water and snacks. Cause normally we could just like hit up a gas station, but I wasn't thinking. But either way, so the whole way they were like, I'm going to die of thirst. I'm so hungry because they, they weren't really enjoying it like I was. But I was paying attention and I noticed that it felt protected. Like I... I got this feeling, whether it was real or not, and I'm going to wait it out and see. It's not like I'm moving tomorrow. But I got this feeling that that slow way of life that we're talking about, like sitting on your porch and doing all these things, that it's there. It's not going anywhere in these little pockets that we were driving through. And it felt so good. I literally started crying. I was like, guys, it looks like we're in Vermont, but by the water. Because there was like this huge body of water. I don't even know if it was like a lake or whatever. But um. And they were like, we're so hungry. I, but that's like, I feel sometimes like, even though it's in my heart and it's obviously in your heart, I feel like I crave it to be the reality around me. And I've been so lucky to have it during this quarantine, but I also am like, okay, maybe this is, maybe I need to pay more attention to this and not ignore it so much. And like, really go to like a slower pace where the post office is just tiny and the librarian knows what my favorite kind of book is and has it behind the desk waiting for me, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, I think people are, I mean, if everybody feels that, that same way, I think maybe we can really hold on to it. There's going to be a lot of advertisers who are going to try to convince us that we don't really want it anymore, but I uh, don't know if that's going to really be successful because I never even thought of that. Yeah. Well, I'm not trying to burst your bubble because I believe in that feeling that you had. And I've had no, that feeling I hear as well. You. I, I, I forgot that that's where a lot of it comes. Well, it comes from advertising. From, yeah. And ideally, I mean, I think it's so funny now watching like all the clothing ads. It's like they literally have nothing like they can't sell us shit because <laughs> like we have nowhere to fucking go. Like my favorite I, thing I, is I keep getting the stuff. 
I, I keep some pretty getting good emails sales. and they're like 99% off everything. Oh, everything's and I'm like, like, yeah, it's like 104% off. I yeah. Just... You have like nothing, like nowhere to freaking go in it. And listen, I have been buying I know. myself some stuff in these sales because they're amazing. But I, um, it's like they have, um, they have nothing to, to go with. And then every, the, the big anxiety, like the big fear is like, people are going to get used to this and they're not going to want to go out anymore. And that's going to be an economic that's going to be a huge economic problem. But like, I don't know. I think we're going to figure out how to live life in a way that maybe more resol- revolves around people staying home more often and that that might not be the worst thing in the world. My biggest yeah, and you know, I never go out. I mean, I, I've never had a drink in my life. Like, I've never been in a bar. I just don't. So for us, when that whole thing started happening and everybody was like, we can't go out. This is terrible. We can't you were do... Like, um, I like being inside my house. Like, well, but it was also that. nice because now we could finally be part of happy hour. Right. Because like, we didn't want to go to loud bars, but like, yeah. I'll totally do a zoom happy hour with you and eat cheese or whatever. And like, and you can be there for it. We're finally part of these drunk social circles and we don't have to be drunken in a bar. So we're like, Oh, this is nice. <laughs> so neither like you this. or you and Todd, neither one of you t- drinks any alcohol. Well, he's type or one diabetes. So that's the other thing about this whole quarantine for us that we're taking so seriously is cause he's high, high, high risk. And he has been for a while. So we are not messing around at all. You like are we like have, very quarantined right now. We always have been since even before things were shut down. My cousin is an infectious disease doctor at Harvard. His wife is an ICU at Harvard. They called us right away and we're like, Thomas has diabetes. I don't care what you see in the media. Don't even be part of any of the debates. Lock your door and don't open the door. And we were like, okay, got it. And those people, I mean. Doctors who see that, they're never, like when Ebola came to Texas, I called him and he was like, ha ha, don't be stupid. But then when he does have concern, I listen. So no, he doesn't drink because it messes with his diabetes. Do you feel like that? I, I'm so curious around this right now because I haven't been drinking during this time. I There's something about it for me. I feel like there's a million reasons and I could do an entire, entire podcast about it and I actually might. But um my point is I haven't been drinking during this time and, um, that's felt very useful to me. Um, and I wonder if having that perspective all the time, which is what you have kind of like increases the way that you're able to see things like from more of a bird's eye view, maybe than the, I mean, just thinking about the revelations that you've had and, and how they've been like premature, if you will, like in 2016, just saying like a lot of this shit is bullshit that we're all subscribing to and I'm done with it. Um, might have something to do with that. Do you ever think that? No, I've never thought that. You're so insightful. I'm learning so much about myself through this conversation. Oh, wow. Um, Thank you. No, because I'm the opposite. Like, I'll be crying having such a shit moment. And I'll be like, I can see why people do mess. <laughs> like, I say that as oh, a joke. Oh, I feel that but way. Like, I'm telling you, there are times where I'm like, right, I get it now. Like, this is too humanly impossible this is too much. Like I understand now why people just like drink or do all oh, those things. I've never I, been more understanding. In so my I've entire always life. looked at it the other way than what you're saying. I've never looked at it as like, Oh, maybe this is why, because like, I, I don't have any outlet. Like I won't even take a Xanax. I won't, I don't have, it's not like I just don't drink. It's like, I don't drink. I don't smoke pot. I don't even barely take Tylenol unless I'm like on my deathbed having a kidney stone. Like I, and even <laughs> then I, I had like major surgery and I was like, I'm anyway. So 
in that sense, I'm the opposite where I'm always kind of like, well, I guess it would be kind of nice to just numb out sometimes. Or like, I also feel that way about dumb people. Like I'm always like, oh God, it must be so nice to be like dumb. I have... I have a lot of dumb people envy. I'm actually really glad that and you like brought that up. I've never too. talked about that before. I've had hyster. I have had just. We sound like moments. assholes, probably saying. No, that, we do. But like... but it's a- I've had sobbing moments with my husband where I'm just like, I wish I could get more on certain people's level, and Me I don't too. care how big of an asshole I sound. Like no my sobbing, favorite. like weeping but and being sobbing. like, I yeah, wish like, I, I care. So lonely, I and like my mind operates at this I know. level that like I, I, it's very challenging I to find know. someone like level with, and I um. Know. I had that I've brought this astrologer up like maybe in nine of my interviews, people are going to be like, I mean, I really, I had this appointment with an astrologer. It was one appointment, but in that appointment, she said to me, she like just said a whole lot of stuff that was mind blowing. But one of the things she said to me was, um, you have this incredible ability to read people very quickly. Like within a millisecond, you can just kind of tell who somebody is, where they come from, what they're about, if they're good, bad, whatever they are. And, um, that has caused you, you, you have had a lot of life changing interactions with people that have been very like mutually beneficial or maybe beneficial to the other person, but it's also caused you a lot of loneliness because you can identify Uh... with people and you can get on their level essentially, but it doesn't really fill you up all the time. Um, and I thought, yeah, like literally that has been my whole life is that I have had all these interactions where I can dumb myself down. And I can make it work, but I don't feel like I'm by myself after that conversation. Mm. And like, that has been a hard part for me about being in this society and this world that we live in is like, it's very challenging to find somebody. That's why I treasure you so much. Who's willing to like, really be honest about what's happening and to really talk about it and to tell the truth. And, um, I've done a lot of things that I am not necessarily proud of to just, numb myself out so that I don't have to experience that loneliness. But I just decided recently, like right before this quarantine started, ironically, it was like the same, like right before any of this happened, I made a decision to essentially not to quarantine myself literally, but I'm done with that. Like I'm not, I'm 31 years old. That's not ancient, but it's old enough to where I'm like, I can't, I can't carry. Yeah. And you won't be alone for a long time. Like this is this is me wanting to like, love you. This is what I do. I'm like, okay, but (laughs) I'm like, here's the thing, the way that you see people and can read people quickly. I love people quickly. Like, that's my thing as I'm like, I, I, I want you to know that I see you and I like, love you for who you are. There's a book called women who run with the wolves. It might not be up your alley, but if you just read the introduction, I think it would be helpful. Even if you can just find it online, it might not be related to any other aspects of your life, but she talks about in there how, Every woman at some point has to make this decision, like, am I willing to risk being alone for a little while to find my real tribe in order? But it's terrifying. That whole, like, space of being, like, in this place of, are people even going to ever like me again? Like, am I going to have friends again? It's like the unknown. Yeah. It's like the absolutely. But then you find your tribe and then maybe they, they come in and out of your lives. But, like. Certainly the women in my life, and I talk about this a lot unapologetically, I could not survive without them. If I could, I would like have commitment ceremonies with them, not like weddings, but I'm just saying that I sound like a crazy person right now because that's how loyal and tied to them I feel. And I feel like, and there's so many of my 
you know, like we have this super close family friend who used to be our nanny when we were in Connecticut. And she is now just like one of my closest people in my life. But she talks about how, you know, when she's struggling to find like a boyfriend or a husband and how he doesn't have this quality or that quality. And I'm like, but wait, that's for your girlfriends to fill. Like, that's not. And I, and she's like, oh yeah, I needed that reminder. Cause I think so often as women we're told, like search for this spouse who checks every box or whatever that bullshit is. But the fact is like, for me, that's not my husband's job. Like my husband is amazing and he does a lot of things, but like, if it wasn't for the women in my life, I, I could not exist. And if my well, God, no one I, person is supposed to be every single that's thing. What I'm saying. If I ever needed, him, I, he's amazing, but like not not going to check all the boxes. So I think you made, I think what you're doing is great. I think it's really painful, but I think that you're absolutely just going to find your, your peeps. And I'm here. Oh, I love course. you. I love you for being you and for so bravely living your life. I feel like I can already hear that. Like once people have gotten to the end of this are just oh kind gosh. of blown away by you because it's rare to even get to talk to or meet somebody but, like and I you. And I'm so the- lucky that I did. I suggest the book because it's not just me. Like, it's like, I always feel like it's so validating. I don't think very highly of myself. So that's why I'm like, okay, thank you, Laura. I appreciate those compliments, but like, (laughs) well, you you should should. really, I'm like, you should really read about it in this person's book because they know, like, I don't know. It's called Women Who Run With Wolves. I will look, but I, you are, you are rare, rare gem, my love. You really are. If you could see me right now, you'd be like, what is she doing? I love it. I just don't. I just give zero fucks. I don't. I I I wish I could give more fucks. I I do. I I wish I I could. I encourage to give as many fucks as you do, like the one or two that you have, because that's like, I'm like really working on that has been a huge thing for me. Okay. But then money, right? Like if I really, and honestly, like I had to stop with the Instagram stuff and stop pouring my heart out so much because I don't want to be a professional Instagrammer. I just don't. So like, but I love being a teacher, but like you can't be a teacher and be talking about like saying the F word and stuff in your leopard bikini. Does that make sense? So it's this weird thing, but that's why I, when I tell you this quarantine has brought all this to the surface, I'm like, Oh, like I have been suppressing a lot of myself. I have been biting my tongue. I have been like doing all these things for the sake of like income or whatever. So it's been like this weird time. So I appreciate you validating all these parts of myself that I feel like maybe have been a little more hidden lately. Well, I've loved them and learned from them. And I mean, like the only way I can really describe it is they've set me free. Like I have read the truth in what you've written so many times where nobody else was saying that. And I was like, Oh, thank God. And that, that post that you wrote all in, I remember reading it. I was actually mm-hmm. able to find it by Googling parts of it because I remembered them word for word. Um, oh. cause I remembered reading them and, and like being like, no one has ever written anything like this before. And like, I feel this way all the time. Why hasn't anybody ever said it? And, um, just being in awe of your bravery for having written that. So, Thank you. And just thank you for being you and your book before I have to say goodbye to you. Catch and release is available really soon, right? What's the release date? Catch and release. So it's been, I know it's been kind of funny because the printer was delayed as everybody has been, but I, so we did a Kickstarter for it and I have to make sure that the people who pre-ordered the book get their birth books first before I make it available online. So the printer has now promised that all books will be on my doorstep on the 6th 
of where are we April May and then from there it should take me about a week to sign them all and make them beautiful and tuck in my little presents and stuff and put them in boxes and ship them out so I'm hoping that once those people start telling me that they've um, received their books I'll be able to just hit launch so anywhere between like the second to third week of May well, I can't, um, I can't wait to get my copy cause I was part of the Kickstarter, but, um, Yay. if you weren't and you want to grab one, we'll be on Amazon and on your website. I think just my website, it's a Michelle They can get yeah. it on your website no matter what. Right. I'm afraid to put it on Amazon because I don't want mean comments. <laughs> oh my gosh. I hear you. Oh, crazy. I hear you. Well, I hope maybe you do because I doubt there'll maybe. be that many mean comments. I think it'll be wonderful for you. Um, yeah. And if anybody wants to follow you on Instagram, um, you're at Michelle Gardella, right? No underscores. Yes. Nope. Amazing. Thank you again for joining me. Um, I have absolutely loved talking to you. I treasure our friendship. So grateful for you. And thank you for everyone. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, you've been listening to Look Ma No Hands. I'm your host, Laura Max Rose, and uh, we'll join you again next week. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time.